0: love. I want to know what love is. Do you remember that song? It was a plea that the rock band Foreigner made famous back in 1984. Now, some of you weren't even born then, but some of you remember that song, and now it's going to be a brain worm for you, torturing you all day. I want to know what love is. Then Mariah Carey, she renewed that plea in 2009 when she did that song, I Want to Know What Love Is. I want to know what love is. It's a plea that every adolescent voices while trying to work through his or her first big crush. Love is by far the most popular topic in the world. For songs, poems, books, TV shows, movies, human beings are in love with love. In the romantic sense. We're going to be talking about love today, but the kind of love that we'll be talking about doesn't enjoy the same level of popularity, even though this kind of love is supposed to be the most distinguishing characteristic observed in the life of the followers of Jesus Christ. Over in John 13, 34, you may remember this passage, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The last part of the last verse of the passage that we studied last time connects us with the passage that we'll be looking at today. 1 John 3.10 John wrote, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister Well, last time, we learned that those who are truly born-again followers of Jesus Christ inherit the character traits of their Heavenly Father, namely, righteousness. God is righteous, and those who are truly His children will have a desire for righteousness in them, and they will seek to practice righteousness in their lives. In the passage that we'll be looking at today, John tells us that those who are truly born-again followers of Jesus Christ will love one another, following after the example that Jesus has set for us. The kind of love being talked about in this passage, though, is actually an expression of righteousness. Over in Romans 13.8, Paul wrote, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We could say love is righteousness in action. We've noted before that John, he emphasizes three things in this letter of 1 John. It matters what we believe. We need to believe Jesus is the Christ, God the Son, who has come in human flesh and embrace him as Savior. Second, it matters <coughs> excuse me how we live. We need to obey the commands of God. And third, it matters how we treat others. We must love one another. Now, if you've been following along as we have been making our way through this letter of 1 John, you might remember that we've already talked about all three of these things before. This, you'll remember, perhaps, is one of the characteristics of John's writing style. He cycles back around to the same subjects again and again throughout his letter. And so we are returning again to this topic of loving one another. Over in 1 John chapter 3, picking up in verse 11, He writes, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, as noted before, the false teachers who have been infiltrating these these churches that John's writing to, they have been trying to lead the believers astray with their new teachings. But John, he points believers back to the same teaching they have been given from the beginning. Here in verse 11, he says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. First John one five, he said, "This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you." First John two seven, dear friends, I am writing, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. First John two twenty four, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. See the Christian faith has not changed from its earliest beginnings. It does not need to change, it change, and it should not change. There's tremendous pressure that is continually coming against the church to change its positions on morality, on Jesus, on salvation. For example, that kind of behavior is entirely acceptable in our society now. The church needs to modernize and go with the times. Or, Jesus was a great teacher, but he's not the only way to God. Jesus obviously wasn't born a virgin from born of a virgin, and he didn't literally come back from the dead on the third day. Those would require astonishing miracles, and we all know miracles don't happen. All people are basically good and going to heaven. And everyone knows that makes a much better TV show premise. Whenever an attempt has been made by the church to... Change its beliefs to match the current thinking of the surrounding culture, it has been damaged and it begins to die. I mean, think about it. If the church looks and acts like everyone else, I mean, what is the point of the church then? You may as well just join some social club. The further a church moves away from first century Christianity, the more irrelevant it ultimately becomes. And as a church moves, Toward and clings to those basic beliefs of Christianity that it has had from the beginning, the more vibrant and relevant the church will be. Well, what is this message that John says we have heard from the beginning? We should love one another. This is the central idea of the passage from verses 11 through verses 18. This simple but important and powerful command, we should love one another, it's the centerpiece of the Bible regarding how we are to treat our fellow human beings. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked what is the greatest commandment? Over in Matthew 22, 36, Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And then you might remember when Jesus was asked, who is our neighbor? He answered that question by telling the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10.30, which teaches us that all people are our neighbor. Well, John, he gives us two examples to reflect on here in this passage. There's a negative example of Cain in verses 12 through 15 and the positive example of Jesus himself in verses 16 through 18. So in verse 12, he says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain is an example of anti-love. Why did Cain murder his brother Abel? It says it was because Abel had... It, it, excuse me. It was not because Abel had mistreated Cain in some way. It wasn't because he had failed to love Cain in some way. It wasn't because Abel had done some evil thing to Cain. Instead, he Cain murdered his brother because his own actions were evil and his brother Abel's were righteous. The righteous acts of Abel exposed the true nature of Cain's heart. Cain's actions appeared good until they were compared to the good, true behavior and actions of his brother Abel. Evil. See, it has this warped belief that if it can destroy the righteous, it can make itself look good. Evil doesn't think itself is actually good, but instead it seeks to disguise its true nature as good. But when true good is put alongside it, then evil's masqueraded good, its fake good, its counterfeit good, is shown for what it really is. I mean, here's an illustration. If the only money that I ever saw was monopoly money, I could be fooled into thinking that it was real money because I wouldn't know any different. But the moment a real dollar bill is placed alongside a monopoly dollar bill, I easily know which one is real. In a similar way, Cain's counterfeit righteousness was immediately exposed as a fake when his brother Abel made his genuine act of sacrificial worship to God. Cain had a choice. Even when God called him out about his counterfeit righteousness, he could have repented. God actually encouraged Cain to do that. It warned him of the dangers of not repenting. God said to Cain, If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must overcome it. Well, we have a choice too. We don't have to keep trying to maintain our counterfeit righteousness. We can come into the light of the Lord and allow him to change our life, as John has told us already in his letter, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Verse 13, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. True followers of Jesus shouldn't be surprised if the world hates them. Cain hated his brother because his own actions were evil while his brothers were righteous. And in a similar way, when the world compares its actions to those of true believers, its counterfeit righteousness and love are exposed. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what's being said here, though. It's not saying that the only people who do any good in this world are Christians. There have been some really wonderful, kind, loving things done by people in this world who were not necessarily believers in Jesus. But remember how John uses this word world. In 1 John 2.16, John says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are the kinds of things that come from the world. This is the world that John is talking about. I can remember before I became a follower of Jesus that I didn't like to be around real Christians because their lives exposed the truth about my own life. The, the light of them exposed the darkness in me. And you know, I have to confess that I loved to catch Christians being selfish and unkind and hypocritical. I mean, I loved it because it made me feel better about myself. I would think, look at those Christians. They're such hypocrites. They aren't any better than me. In fact, I'm better than them because at least I'm honest about my sin. I'm not trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. Well, the obvious fallacy in that kind of thinking is that we aren't justified before God by being better than someone else. Even if I was really a thousand times better than that hypocritical Christian... In God's eyes, I was still a moral train wreck and guilty before him. God measures us against his perfect law and his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And in that scale, we have all been weighed and found wanting. We are all guilty. Well, thinking back again to the example of Cain, he made an offering to God which appeared to be similar to the offering made by his brother Abel. But in truth, the motives behind the actions of the two brothers were very different. Abel, he came to God humbly and on the terms that God had given. Cain, on the other hand, he came to God on Cain's own terms, not submitting his will to God. For us, we're invited to come to God and enter into relationship with him But we must come on the terms that he's given us, which is through Jesus Christ. Trying to come on our own terms reveals our pride and lack of humiliation and contrition for our sin. Verse 14, John continues, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. John is speaking to believers here. And he tells us that the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence of the authenticity of our faith that we are really born again, that the seed of God has really come alive in us, to use his words from 1 John 3.9. Love is not the requirement for salvation, but it is the evidence that we have salvation. The person who does not love, he says, remains in death. This is John's way of saying that a person doesn't know God, is not living in the light, is not alive spiritually, is not saved. John goes even further and he says that the person who hates a brother or sister is a murderer like Cain. John's creating this very strong contrast here with what he's going to be saying in the next verses about love and the kinds of actions that accompany real love. Hate leads to murder, he says. Love leads to self-sacrifice. Hate leads to taking of life. Love leads to giving of one's life. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Hear that song playing? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In verse 11, John tells us we should love one another. Then in verses 12 through 15, he gives Cain as an example of anti-love. Now, he tells us what love is, and he begins by pointing us to the example of Jesus laying down his life for us. In John 15, 12, Jesus said to his disciples, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus, see, he didn't just say to us, I love you. He showed his love for us in the most tangible and useful way that he could. He died in our place, taking our punishment upon himself, purchasing eternal life for us with his own life. Jesus calls us to follow his example of love by putting the needs of others before our own. In the next couple of verses, John is going to explain what that means for us, what that looks like for us. In verse 17, he says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Our love needs to be expressed through actions rather than merely words. James, he says the same thing over in James 2.15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I'm striving to do, hey, I'll pray for you, brother. What good is that? Prayer is effective and powerful, but come on, give the boy a hamburger. If a brother or sister is in need and it's within our ability to help them, then we are expected to act. Otherwise, how can we claim that the love of God is in us? The idea of loving people is something that we're willing to embrace when we're thinking about it in theoretical terms. I mean, everybody's for that, theoretically. But when it comes down to actually carrying it out with real people with real needs, well, then it's not so easy. I like what G.P. Lewis writes about this. He says, It's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. Talking about it on a theoretical, lofty, big-picture way, Everybody is enthusiastic about it. But when it gets down to loving individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive, mm, not so popular then. Loving everybody in general, he says, may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Well, as we've read these words of John about loving people through material assistance, questions come to our minds like, am I expected to provide for another person's luxury? No. Am I expected to ensure that everyone I encounter has the same standard of living that I do? No, not necessarily. Am I expected to provide for the needs of those outside the community of faith, outside the church? Yes and no. John is speaking here to believers. He makes reference to our brothers and sisters, which obviously means believers. One of the blessings of being a part of the family of God, the church, is the sharing and caring for one another that's supposed to be taking place among us. But we're also told in Scripture to be kind-hearted toward the poor in general. Examples, Proverbs 19.17, it says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Verse 19 says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. At some point in their life, every believer has or will face doubts and concerns about their salvation. Wondering if they are really saved, wondering if they have done something to endanger their salvation, wondering if there is enough real evidence in their life to indicate that they are truly a child of God, feeling a lack of peace about their relationship with God, and and so forth. I want to encourage you as a believer first by saying this, that a believer's sincere desire to know the Lord and to please Him with their life It makes them particularly sensitive to twinges of doubt and concerns about their salvation. These feelings, though, are evidence in themselves of the genuineness of your faith. See, the person who has no faith in Jesus as the Christ doesn't usually give these things any thought at all. They don't care. They don't think about it. Sometimes feelings of doubt come because we have deliberately and knowingly been sinning the Lord is convicting us of our sin letting us know that we need to repent that we need to stop doing what we're doing and start doing what we know we ought to be doing and when the Lord withdraws his peace from our life because we've been deliberately and knowingly sinning we should consider that a blessing And then respond to his warning. We want the Lord to step into our life and draw us back to him. Sometimes the devil brings doubts and fears into our life. He's called the accuser of God's people in Revelation 12.10. He wants to rob us of the peace and joy of our salvation. He wants us to feel lost and condemned. He wants to beat us down any way he can. He hates us, and he's opposed to all of the good that the Lord is doing in us and through us. Remember, Peter, he describes the devil as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, how do we combat these feelings of doubt and fear and condemnation and instead experience peace and joy? Well, through the things, through the things that John has been telling us over and over in this letter. First, by continuing in the things that we have been taught about Jesus. Remember that we have been saved through what Jesus has done for us rather than what we have done. Our confidence is not to be in ourselves; it's to be in the one who has died for us, the perfect Son of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and our eternal advocate before the Father. And second, by living an obedient life before the Lord and loving one another, as John has repeatedly told us. Verse 23 summarizes these things once again for us in this nice, neat little package. Verse 23 says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You see the two things. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your confidence in him as your savior, as the one who makes you right before the Lord. And second, obey the Lord's commands, and the greatest expression of doing that is by loving one another. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you have not sought God's forgiveness for your sins and recognized Jesus as your Savior and Christ, asking him to come into your life, you have not dedicated yourself to following him, well, then... Any doubts or fears or concerns that you have about your place before God, about your salvation, about your eternal future, those are very real. And I encourage you to come to the Lord today and set things right between you. Take care of business with the Lord. Come to faith in Christ. The Bible teaches us that we're separated from God because of our sin and under his condemnation but he loves us so much that he's done everything needed for you and me to be forgiven and reconciled with him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins and he came back to life on the third day to give you eternal life. Ask God to forgive you for your sins and bring you to life spiritually, making you his child and start following Jesus with your life. In closing, Christian, uh, I want to take you back to verse 20 for a final thought. Verse 20 says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Trust the Lord over your accusing heart, Christian. He knows everything. He knows the truth about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, And He still and always will love you. Take hold of that. Never let Him go. Walk in His peace and the joy of your salvation. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Father, we thank You for what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. That our salvation... Is not dependent upon us, but it's dependent upon what you have done for us. By faith in Jesus Christ alone, by your grace, Lord, you have saved us. It is your goodness, your love. I ask that you would comfort your people this morning, that you would confirm in their hearts and their minds their place with you, Lord that you love them, that you have saved them, that you are saving them, and that they have a, an amazing future to look forward to with you. I also pray for those this morning who have not embraced you, Lord. That you, they have not put their faith in you, Jesus, put their confidence in you and asked you to come into their life and to save them. I pray that today is the day that they would do that. That even in this moment, they would say, Lord, Save me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I want this new life. And I want to know you and have that peace and reassurance. Make these things so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.